reminds us of a nasty sting. It was read to us earlier, as each new spring season comes and goes, the truth is we are getting older. And in wonderful ancient poetry, uh, the silver cord of life, each year sort of stretches just a little bit more, a little bit more, a little bit more, and it just gets past its tensile point and eventually snaps. And our bodies, which are basically moist dust, gradually dry out, and we return back to the dust. And so for all the promise of life, as each year goes by, the reality of death kind of looms larger and larger and threatens to spoil the party. Now you teens, you people in your 20s here this morning, you don't even think about this. You don't consider death. You are invincible. And that's why the the, the preacher addresses this poem to you. He said, remember your creator in the days of your youth, he says. That's to you, young people. Remember your creator in these years. Before the days of trouble come and the years approach when you will say, I find no pleasure in them. Here's the the bitter biological truth. That after about 18 years of age, your cells in your body are starting to die. That's quite a thought, isn't it? After 18, you begin the slow descent uh, to death. It takes some time before you start recognizing it, before you... But, but basically, your body starts to ache a lot more. Each year goes by, your body just aches just a little bit more. Uh, it's amazing. I've reached 40, and now and as, I, as I get up from the sofa, I start making noises. Oh! That never happened before, but it's starting to happen. Oh! You take longer to recover from injuries. Your skin looks older. Wrinkles and moles start appearing. And you produce a geographical map on your body. (laughs) Your body starts sagging. Your organs and your body parts start failing. The number of medications you take starts increasing. And as the years go by, you attend more and more funerals of your family and friends. Now, life can be wonderful, absolutely wonderful. But then it can also be so full of heartache and trouble, can't it? And the the chief cause of that heartache is this, that death, is threatening to spoil the party. The specter of death looms over life. And so many have said, like the preacher, meaningless, meaningless. Everything is meaningless. What is, what is this life about? Does it have any meaning? Does it have any purpose? Is there any point? Is there any hope? Well, there are lots of options out there in the world today to give life meaning and hope, aren't there? Look at the cosmetic industry. Billions of pounds, billions of dollars are spent applying creams and chemicals to rejuvenate and smooth out that aging skin. And when that doesn't work, well, then you've got the cosmetic section. I've been able to fill in the cracks, put the mask on, Cover the blemishes. And when that's not enough, well, you can go to the dentist and he can give you an advanced smile and restore your dentition to an unseemly whiteness that no natural teeth ever had. (laughs) And then you can go to the surgeon and he he can put Botox into the lines on your face. 
In the last church, we had about three dermatologists, and I went to one of my dermatologists and said, would Botox be any good for me? He said, no, mate. Those are too deep. <laughs> he said, if I, the amount of Botox it would take would kill you. <laughs> so, and, then, and, and then also they can suck fat out of your body these days. They can suck fat out of places where you've got too much, and they can inject it into your lips. <laughs> Make them look really full. And they can take your flabby bellies and reduce them. Just chop it and stitch it. And they can, they can lift your face until it becomes a grimace. <laughs> Constantly smiling. But you know what? It's a dead hope. It's a dead hope. Your Hollywood enhanced body will still eventually fall apart and turn to dust. Other people turn to fitness clubs and vitamins and medications full of minerals and essential uh, elements. A few years ago, a friend of mine had to tie up the loose ends of his stepfather's life after his stepfather had died of cancer. And as he and his brother started going through the stepfather's house in California, they estimated that they must have thrown out about $50,000 worth of supposedly life-enhancing vitamins and tablets that were religiously taken throughout his life to elongate his, his life as, as long as possible. He had spent colossal sums on this. But here is the irony. He died exactly the same age as his parents died. It's a dead hope. It's a dead hope. Others turn to books and philosophies that stress the power of positive thought. A few years ago, I don't know whether this happened in Britain, but I was living in America and... Um, a few years ago in America, there was an Australian author called Rhonda Byrne, and she made a lot of money through the sales of a book entitled The Secret. That's a great title, isn't it, for a book? The Secret. Well, Oprah Winfrey loved the book so much, she did two whole shows on it. Of course, when Oprah pushed it, the sales just rocketed. And, uh, and, and, and also, you could go to a website and download an internet film that reveals The Secret. Now let me save you the bother uh, and reveal the secret. Here's the secret according to Byrne. Every object and mind in the universe operates on its own frequency. Have you got that? Every object and mind operates on its own frequency and minds can attract matter. This is what she argues. Thoughts are magnetic and thoughts have a frequency. As you think, those thoughts are sent out into the universe and they magnetically attract all like things that are on the same frequency. Everything sent out returns to its source, she says, and the source is you. Well, these sort of things get a lot of people excited because it confirms what many people believe that they really are at the center of the universe. <laughs> and she goes on, she says this, you are the most powerful magnet in the universe. Don't take notes on this. This is the bit you don't take notes on. You are the most powerful magnet in the universe. If you learn to operate the law of attraction, she says, you can, you can get anything you want. Success, riches, material objects, weight loss, acclaim. All these can be yours if you only think these positive thoughts out into the universe. And if that's not a big enough claim, she goes on in her book to say this, and I quote, You are God in a physical body. You are spirit in the flesh. You are eternal life expressing itself as you. You are a cosmic being. Wow. You are all power. You are all wisdom. You are all intelligence. You are perfection. You are magnificence. You are the creator and you are creating the creation of you on this planet. 
What incredible claims. What incredible claims. How do you, what backs it up? Well, by our own admission, <clears throat> many of our ideas are taken from an earlier book entitled The Science of Getting Rich by uh, an American author called Wallace Wattles. And Wallace Wattles published this book, The Science of Getting Rich, in 1910. And all you need to know about this power-positive thought stuff is that he published the book in 1910, and he died in 1911. <laughs> it is a dead hope. It's a dead hope. Now, I want you to contrast that with me with what we read in, in, in the letter of 1 Peter chapter 1. So let's open your Bibles to page 1,217. 1,217 in the church Bibles. What does the Bible God's Word have to say to us? Well, look at 1 Peter chapter 1. And verse 3, sentence with the number 3 at the beginning there. Left-hand side of the page. Page 1217. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Now just look at the end of that verse. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. See, what Peter is getting excited about here is all rooted and secured in an, in an historical event that he personally witnessed, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Jesus really lived. Peter spent three years of his life observing, following, interacting with a flesh and blood man called Jesus. And Jesus really died. Peter personally observed the arrest of Jesus, the dodgy trial, the execution, where after he was brutally whipped, he was nailed to a wooden cross for about six hours. And in those six hours, at the end of that, he died. And that was Friday, when his body was taken down and placed in a cave tomb and sealed in place by a large stone rock. And on the Sunday, Peter was one of the disciples, first on the scene to witness first this empty tomb. And later that day, a resurrected Jesus. Jesus really rose from the dead. That's what Peter is saying as an eyewitness. It was the same person, the same body, that, he, that the body still bore the marks of the wounds inflicted upon him. But it was a transformed body. Uh, this is what the Bible describes elsewhere as a spiritual body. Not to say that it's a non-physical body. Jesus ate fish and, and gave the disciples the option to touch him and check he was not a ghost in his post-resurrection appearances. But from the seed of the original physical body of Jesus that was placed in the tomb, a new transformed body had been resurrected that was designed for eternity. Now, if you're here today as a, as a skeptic, a non-Christian, then I urge you to, to grab hold of some books. There's some great books out there, Evidence That Demands a Verdict by Josh McDowell or a newer book by uh, Lee Strobel, uh, The Case for Christ. And they can go over some of the historical evidence that backs this extraordinary claim of the resurrection. Or if you're interested in discovering some more, we run courses from time to time where we look at the basics and just tell us 
sign up a form and we'll tell you when the next course is on. But they, they, you know, I, I would encourage you to do that if you're, you're a skeptic here today. Many people have had their lives transformed by making such a discovery. But what I want to focus today is not so much those um, evidences, but to, to look at the impact. What Peter has here is two transforming truths that, that, can, that can have a huge impact on our life today because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. One of them is, is a present reality. One is a future reality. But they all stem from the, this past event of the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And those two realities are these. Firstly, new birth. And secondly, a living hope. That's what we're just going to look at briefly this morning. Uh, new birth and a living hope. See, we're not here today just to consider ancient history. Uh, these historical events really have huge repercussions for our lives today. That's why we're looking at this. And, and the first impact it can have is new birth. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, verse 3 says, in his great mercy he has given us new birth through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Peter is reminding these, um, these Christians who are going through a tough time what an amazing experience that they had entered into by putting their trust into the resurrected Jesus as their Lord and Savior. They, like Peter, had been born again. It's not just that Jesus came alive again, but because of his resurrection, we can have a brand new spiritual life. They were brand new people on the inside, Peter reminds them. Their past sins and their past failures that had deadened them to God, that had uh, cut them off from a relationship with God, well, those things were forgiven. Those things were uh, washed away through the death and resurrection of Jesus. They'd entered into a brand new living and vital relationship with God and with other believers. God was no longer uh, distant and unapproachable, but he was the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. I think one of the problems of these uh, books that say it's all about uh, positive thinking, is, uh, like the book The Secret, is that it locks you into a most wretched life of really worshipping yourself as God. That it's all down to you. And it shouldn't really take too many years to realize how limited and unworthy uh, we are of such a position. Uh, there's really no transcendence in worshipping yourself. And if your life is tough and, and you get sick or poor, then you know, positive thinking just says, well, you only have yourself to blame. Tough. Well, the new birth Peter is talking about is liberating us from such foolish thinking to a life of joy and a life of worship of someone who is worthy, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Do you see that the resurrection gives us a new life of purpose and joy? Peter starts with praise, that is Godward focus. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, spring is a great time of delight. But I think through the resurrection of Jesus, you know, we know who we can thank and praise. We can delight in the, in the God who made us. We can praise the one who, uh, who is redeeming our messed up lives. We can know what our life is about to worship and glorify this God, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we can thank this God because this spiritual life, this new birth, is all down to God's activity. Do you notice that in verse 3? 
We do not earn or deserve this real relationship with God. As verse 3 says, it is all according to his great mercy. Mercy is a very interesting word. See, if God gave us justice, then we would have, he would have to punish us for being rebel sinners who were quite content to ignore him most of the time. Justice would demand judgment and hell. But the reason that Peter is so full of praise and delight is that he knows that he, along with, the, with these other Christians, has not received justice, but he has received mercy. God had chosen to make them spiritually alive to him. God had caused them to be born again. And I've had the privilege, uh, as many have here too, of seeing this happen in, in other people's lives. To meet people who initially were hostile to Christian things. Not much knowledge, uh, nor desire really for the Bible, or for church, or, or for the things of God. Living sort of self-focused lives, uh, unconcerned about coming judgment, unconcerned about their sin. And then something changes. The light seems to go on. And they have a concern for, for their souls. They get troubled by their sin. They have a hunger to learn more about Jesus. They have a hunger to learn more about the Bible. And attitudes start changing. And they get hungry for, for gathering with fellow Christians in church. And this church is, is full of people who could tell you that story for their lives. That there was a time in their life where it all seemed meaningless and purposeless. And, and there was no interest whatsoever. And then Jesus came and transformed and changed their lives. That's what Bethany told us this morning. That's what has happened to Leslie, and they're going to testify too in, in, the, in the baptismal pool a, a little bit later. They've experienced new birth. They are people for whom uh, they've experienced what it is to be born again. And I want to ask you this morning, do you know this experience? Do you know this experience of being born again? Now, I'm not asking you today whether you're a religious person. I'm not asking you really whether uh, you're a good person. I'm asking you this. Have you become a new person? A, a religious leader called Nicodemus came to Jesus one night and he had lots of Bible knowledge. He had lots of religion. He was admired uh, amongst the, the community he was a part of. But Jesus insisted to him, you must be born again. You must be born again. So I'm not asking you today really whether you've said some prayer at a Christian event and uh, came down the front or signed a card a few years ago. Have you been born again? Have you experienced this new life, a changed life that results in, in, in thanksgiving and praise to God and to daily obedience to His Son, Jesus? Have you begun to experience the resurrection life of Jesus in your own life? Now there's nothing that we can do to earn it. We, we simply need to call out to God to have mercy on us. To call on Him to give us new life. And then I'd encourage you to keep reading the Bible. Keep coming to hear it preached and taught. If you look over the page in verse 23 of chapter 1, you can see an important agent that God uses to make us born again is there in chapter 1 verse 23. For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God. And look at verse 25 
at the end there. And this is the word that was preached to you. This is the means that God uses to make us alive again through the preaching, through the word of God. Well, that's the first transforming truth of the resurrection. New birth. The second there is a living hope. Look at verse 3 again of chapter 1. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. The resurrection of Jesus is not only the source of new birth, it is in the present, but it is a source of a living hope for the future. Now we've considered many of the ways that we seek to cope with the reality of death. Uh, that, that there is, uh, but, 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 but they're just dead hopes. Now because of the resurrection of Jesus from the dead, we know for certain that there is life beyond death. And it's a better life than the best we could experience now. Uh, the new spiritual life that starts the moment that we receive new life will one day experience the same bodily resurrection that Jesus displayed on that first resurrection day. We will receive a body that is designed to experience eternity in relationship with God in what the Bible describes as a new heaven and a new earth that will never perish, spoil, or fade. A salvation that no one can take from you, a salvation that will not be messed up by our sin, nor fade in its glory or its wonder. And that's what Peter goes on to describe in verse 5 and 6. But what I want to finish on this morning is to ask each of us, where, where is your hope? Where is your hope today? Where is our hope? What is sustaining your life? Is it just a fond hope that certain things might work out? I don't know. Things will work out. That's just sort of a form of wishful thinking. Or maybe it's a, it's a fanciful hope, like that of positive thinking, that just believing in yourself will put all things right. The Christian hope is based on something far more solid. It's based on the facts of the resurrection, on the historical reality of, of a risen Lord Jesus Christ. It is a fixed and certain hope that believes in Jesus Christ and trusts and relies upon him. And when we do that, we will know these two realities of new birth and a living hope. And when we get that, it transforms everything. It transforms Peter's life. The disciple of Jesus, uh, all his hopes of Jesus being God's long-promised Messiah, the King, was dashed at the crucifixion. And what must have stung him even more was the knowledge that he had betrayed Jesus, his personal cowardice on the night that Jesus was arrested out of fear that he had denied Jesus, that he had uh, denied he was ever a disciple. And it must have been a wretched day that Easter Sabbath Saturday. But everything changed on the Sunday, Resurrection Day. He became a fearless witness for Jesus and a Christian leader whose testimony to Jesus continues today in this letter. It's what we've been looking at. This is Peter's testimony. It transformed Peter. And it's transformed the lives of Christians right down through history, the last 2,000 years. There's a very interesting book written by Rodney Stark called The Rise of Christianity. He's a sociologist, and he, he basically did some studies to try to examine how this obscure, marginal 
group of Christian Jews in the first century became the dominant religious force in the Western world in a few centuries. And one of the reasons that he states was because these Christian people had a living resurrection hope. Uh, they used to get these plagues that would come and ravage cities in the Roman Empire. Uh, terrible plagues that would kill lots of people in these cramped cities. And it's recorded that the followers of Roman gods basically used to throw their diseased family members out on the streets as soon as there were any signs of sickness. And they would quickly head out to the country. We've got a quite amusing uh, Roman doctor who talks about how rapidly he heads for the hills when a plague comes to town. Well, the Christians didn't do that. They had a living hope. Because of the resurrection, they didn't fear death. And, and because of their new life commitment to love their neighbors as themselves, they would stay around and care for their fellow believers as well as the pagans who were left uh, sickened uh, and left to die. And even with the most basic nursing care of receiving some food and water, you're far more likely to survive. And so the Christians gained a huge reputation and influence. It's just, just a little concrete example of the transforming difference of having a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus. And today we're going to witness the baptisms of two people who witnessed to us that Jesus Christ changes everything. That life has purpose and meaning. The sting of death is taken away. And you can face the tough circumstances of life, of suffering and of disease and death, with the joy of knowing that Jesus Christ has forgiven your sin, that he has conquered death, and he will return to take us home. And when we get this, when we get a sense of this, then we'll join in with Peter in saying, Praise be! To the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, in His great mercy, He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Amen. Well, if you've got any questions, um, please come and speak to someone today. Come and speak to me. Come and speak to Rodney. Come and speak to someone you know who's a Christian.